Chapter 8 of Vietnam, the Advisory Years to 1965 by Robert Futrell and Martin Blumenson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 8 The Taylor Mission. Several hours after announcing on October 11, 1961, the dispatch of Farmgate to Vietnam, President Kennedy disclosed that he was sending his military adviser, General Taylor, to Saigon. Taylor was to make an educated military guess of the situation in the country and to find ways in which we can perhaps better assist the government of Vietnam in meeting this threat to its independence. In his letter of instructions to the general, Kennedy said, The initial responsibility for the effective maintenance of the independence of South Vietnam rests with the people and government of that country. Concerned with political, social, and economic matters in addition to military problems, the President appointed Walt W. Rostro as Taylor's deputy. Actually, Taylor was to advise the President whether to deploy U.S. combat forces for a direct role in Vietnam or to continue U.S. training and support functions only. Public knowledge of Taylor's mission produced an immediate reaction from the Communists. On October 12th, Premier Chow and Lai warned that China could scarcely be indifferent to the increasingly grave situation caused by United States imperialism in South Vietnam. Ho Chi Minh went to Peking for discussions. The Soviet Union linked the Taylor mission with flagging diplomatic discussions at Geneva and charged the United States with planning to send troops to Vietnam to bring pressure to bear on the situation in Laos. On October 14, North Vietnam protested to the International Control Commission that the Taylor mission was meant to intensify United States intervention in South Vietnam and prepare the way for introducing United States troops. What was the exact state of affairs in South Vietnam? Increases in Viet Cong numbers, aggressiveness, and incidents constantly surprised the Vietnamese National Intelligence Agency. United States intelligence estimates placed the strength of Viet Cong main forces at 17,000 men, 80 to 90 percent of whom were recruited locally. President Diem was complaining to the International Control Commission of the international threat to his government. Hanoi's determination to liberate the South, the massive infiltration of communist agents, the ruthless strategy of terror waged against the South Vietnamese people and the endeavors to establish liberated territory in the central reaches of the Republic, susceptible of gaining recognition and support from the Communist powers. SYNCPAC intelligence assessments identified enemy goals as consolidating control over the richer agricultural areas of the country, isolating Saigon and the Diem government from the people, and keeping the infiltration approaches into South Vietnam open. What military assistance did the South Vietnamese want? As the Vietnamese defense minister told Ambassador Nolting on October 13, Diem wished American combat units or combat training units to be stationed near the 17th parallel to make a show of force and also to free Vietnamese units for anti-guerrilla action. En route to Saigon, Taylor and Rostow stopped off in Hawaii for a briefing by Admiral Felt. The Admiral stressed that the Vietnamese required prompt U.S. assistance. He pinpointed two serious Vietnamese weaknesses, 
the tendency of province chiefs to meddle in military matters and the penchant of military commanders to stay in static defensive positions felt endorsed the farmgate commitment but saw no present need for other american combat forces to take a direct part in the war he recommended continuing u s air force reconnaissance flights accelerating the delivery of t twenty eights and refining military communications he wanted the primitive airstrip at pleiku enlarged in stores of ammunition equipment and war consumables positioned at bases for a possible introduction of sito forces the taylor rostow mission arrived at tan son nut on october eighteenth spent six days in vietnam and departed for baguio in the philippines where the group sent president kennedy an interim report by november third the members drew up a lengthy final report general taylor defined the situation in south vietnam as an acute crisis of confidence at every social level doubt of the seriousness of the u s commitment concern over viet cong successes and discouragement over recent floods that burdened an already strained state the military crisis mirrored political weakness diem was an old-fashioned asian ruler seeking to maintain all the strings of power in his own hands while fragmenting power beneath him the military suffered from skimpy intelligence scant command control and sparse mobility a lack of target intelligence and a frustrating structure hampered the small but capable vietnamese air force it had made no significant contribution to the struggle because there had been little photo reconnaissance before the united states air force able mabel missions while the very nature of guerrilla war makes good targets hard to find taylor noted sophisticated aerial photography should find such good targets as there are finally the general saw none of the controlling structure necessary for effective tactical operations there were less than eight hundred american military personnel and even fewer civilians in the country none worked inside vietnamese ministries and few were in the field for diem preferred americans to remain in saigon some u s officials apparently thought it improper to report anything critical of the diem government as a result it was not easy to secure a thorough estimate of the situation still the unsettled laotian situation had probably lessened vietnamese confidence in the united states and more visible u s military presence might restore vietnamese morale general taylor's recommendations included continuing u s air force reconnaissance flights in vietnam setting up a u s tactical air ground system run partially as a training program giving farmgate a liberal rather than a restrictive mission and improving vietnamese air facilities he saw no reason to commit u s combat forces in a direct role for the moment he envisioned successes hinging on diem's willingness to undertake political and social reforms with a clear impression that a u s military presence of some kind was greatly desired general taylor reported that he leaned toward bolstering american military aid and advisory support for a broadly conceived counter guerrilla campaign central to his concept was making m a a g an operational headquarters for a theater of war with eight thousand military advisers to quicken vietnamese training upgrade intelligence and communications enrich research and development and give quick military and economic support to vietnamese offensive operations 
an alternative was to deploy perhaps ten thousand u s ground troops for defense to release the vietnamese army for active counterinsurgency though taylor and his colleagues believed american support for counterinsurgency inside vietnam to be basic they warned against sending more u s reinforcements until the nature of any final settlement in laos and the way in which hanoi adjusted to it were clear if hanoi persisted in its guerrilla infiltration the united states would be forced to attack the source of guerrilla aggression in north vietnam and impose on the hanoi government a price for participating in the current war which is commensurate with the damage inflicted on its neighbors to the south the joint chiefs of staff did not care for the interim and final taylor ross style reports they wanted a positive american commitment to the clear objective of preventing the fall of south vietnam even if that meant u s military forces must fight the loss of south vietnam would lead to communist control over neighboring nations and the chiefs favored an immediate deployment of strong american combat forces instead of a gradual entry of combat support units they proposed to warn hanoi of punitive action unless viet cong aggression ceased there was little chance of staving off the fall of south vietnam without u s forces on a substantial scale the united states could persuade north vietnam of its serious intent solely by a clear commitment to keep south vietnam out of the communist camp plus a diplomatic warning to hanoi that its continued support of the viet cong would bring american retaliation a long war and perhaps the intervention of the people's republic of china might ensue if it did the united states would have to put at least two hundred and five thousand military men into the field secretary mcnamara discussed the matter with the joint chiefs on november eighth he informed president kennedy of his and their support of the taylor rostow recommendations as first steps toward realizing the american aim averting the fall of south vietnam defending southeast asia would take no more than six u s divisions about two hundred and five thousand men the united states however should introduce major u s units into vietnam only if it was willing to make an unalterable espousal of that goal mcnamara and the joint chiefs were candid in saying that success would turn upon many factors not within our control notably the conduct of diem himself and other leaders in the area they were uneasy about american domestic political problems but expected congress to respond better to a firm initial position than to courses of action that lead us in only gradually and that in the meantime are sure to involve casualties the key of course was the firmness of american intent without that there was no point to deploy sizable units as chairman of the state department policy planning council walt rostow argued for a contingency policy of retaliation against north vietnam a program graduated to match the intensity of hanoi's support of the viet cong upon his request pacaf furnished rostow with two lists of aerial targets in north vietnam admiral felt clung to his earlier opinion the united states should not send large combat forces until the lesser measures suggested by him and substantially approved by general taylor were implemented president kennedy was loath to approve an extensive open-ended commitment they want a force of american troops he told an aide and he likened that force to the unit sent to germany earlier in the year they say it's necessary in order to restore confidence and maintain morale 
but it will be just like berlin the troops will march in the bands will play the crowds will cheer and in four days everyone will have forgotten then we will be told we have to send in more troops it's like taking a drink the effect wears off and you have to take another according to kennedy the war could be won only so long as it remained vietnam's war otherwise the americans would lose like the french on november eighth secretary of defense mcnamara together with the joint chiefs had been inclined to recommend a firm commitment to preclude the takeover of south vietnam even if it meant direct military action three days later mcnamara joined with secretary of state ruskin proposing a more moderate stance in line with president kennedy's thinking the defense secretary urged the instant dispatch of modest support units and further study before resolving to send large organized units for actual or potential combat the national security council and state and defense representatives weighed on november eleventh american military options in vietnam on the thirteenth a state defense memorandum generally followed the rusk mcnamara view there was to be no swift overt commitment of u s combat troops to vietnam a unilateral employment independent of ceto action might trigger a military escalation provoke apathy and perhaps hostility among south vietnamese jeopardize the chances for a political settlement in laos and promote domestic political repercussions in the united states also on november thirteenth kennedy approved the lesser measures more airlift helicopters light planes and transports for the dm forces along with the united states air force personnel and planes for reconnaissance and defoliation nine days later the president advised dm of american willingness to expand aid men and equipment for a combined undertaking to speed vietnamese training and to help fashion better communications and intelligence in return dm would have to put south vietnam on a firm war footing mobilize his resources give his government adequate authority and overhaul the military establishment and command structure meanwhile uniformed u s military personnel in the country would furnish airlift for vietnamese forces air reconnaissance photography instruction in and execution of air ground support techniques and special intelligence there was neither a statement of american national objectives nor a provision for stronger u s military actions should these first phase measures prove insufficient the air staff regarded this as a much watered-down policy it differed mainly from the joint chiefs position by adding the quid pro quo approach to the republic of vietnam that is american commitments would grow solely in response to positive vietnamese actions at a meeting of the joint chiefs of staff on december five general lemay expressed his grave concern he labeled what rusk and mcnamara had proposed and what the president had approved as inadequate the greater u s assistance was still insufficient to defeat the Viet Cong. southeast asia was the best place for a showdown between the united states and the communists this was not because of the local terrain or political situation it was because u s military intervention in southeast asia including the use of nuclear weapons could be followed by many layers of escalation before the ultimate confrontation would occur in contrast the secretaries of state and defense had apparently tried to obscure play down or delay the determined and decisive action required to effectively combat the communist threat 
LeMay urged the Joint Chiefs to suggest that President Kennedy deploy sizable American forces to Vietnam. He wanted them to press for high-level accord on a clear statement of U.S. objectives in the area, and to tell McNamara that timely positive military actions are essential. He desired at least a definite contingency commitment to insert U.S. forces into Vietnam for open operations when required. What the Air Force chief thought were suitable forces for the commitment would be an Army Brigade Task Force, a Marine Division and its complementary air wing, plus a tactical fighter squadron, a tactical bomber squadron, and a tactical reconnaissance task force. These units would free the bulk of Diem's forces to root out the guerrillas and to secure South Vietnam's borders. They would also bolster Diem's political position and ensure his regime and tenure in office. LeMay envisioned no open engagement with the enemy, but could not rule it out. Enemy military actions, he said, would not alter the political objective, but such actions may compel military responses which would not necessarily be confined to South Vietnam. But there was no feasible military alternative of lesser magnitude that would prevent the loss of South Vietnam and ultimately of Southeast Asia. The Joint Chiefs referred LeMay's proposal to the Joint Strategic Survey Council, a group of senior officers freed from day-to-day -day matters so they could take a detached view of broad military and political questions. Asked to examine the rationale for deploying U.S. troops to South Vietnam, they replied on December 7th, The recently authorized measures, even when implemented, they said, will prove to be inadequate. The Council called attention to the deteriorating military situation and the tenuous character of the South Vietnam government, which made it imperative that the United States government take the initiative. To reassure President Diem that the United States will support his government and will discourage and oppose any internal factions which seek to overthrow him, U.S. combat forces and those of its Asian allies should go to South Vietnam strong enough to assure the South Vietnamese of our determination to support their government and to defeat communist aggression. There should be a military command and modus operandi in South Vietnam which will assure loyalty and maximum combat effectiveness in the campaign against the communists. Secretary McNamara was not convinced, as he afterwards told the President, I am not prepared to endorse the views of the chiefs until we have had more experience with our present program in South Vietnam. Kennedy agreed. General LeMay clearly doubted if the administration actually had a firm and definite Vietnam policy. In his opinion, he later observed, none of the American military chiefs really believed that the United States was undertaking anything except having some diplomatic fiddling around with a little more aid program. Part of this feeling might have flowed from LeMay's frustration over major constraints hindering the Air Force's influence in SIA, too few and too junior United States Air Force officers in the MAAG's, PACAF's, restricted voice in Vietnamese affairs. The inability of the indigenous Air Forces to cope with the insurgency, an inadequate ground environment for employment of United States Air Force air power on a large scale. Moreover, Secretary McNamara kept a tight rein on the military services. In mid-November, for example, the movement of three single-engine liaison aircraft to Vietnam required his permission. 
little wonder that the United States Air Force leadership felt cramped and uncomfortable. Maybe it was no coincidence that on December 5, the day General LeMay voiced his concern to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Felt dispatched a warning to the Joint Chiefs. He reported that General Magar, M.A.A.G. Chief in Saigon, and Sir Robert G.K. Thompson, head of a British advisory mission to Saigon, were both uneasy because the situation in South Vietnam was more than serious. It is critical, with the peak of the crisis possible at any moment. End of chapter 8